Today's show is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at tryexpressvpn.com slash space. That's tryexpressvpn.com slash space for three months free with a one-year package. Visit tryexpressvpn.com slash space to learn more. 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. 10 Sequence start. Space Nuts. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Space Nuts. Astronauts report it feels good. Hello again. Thank you for joining us on Space Nuts, the podcast about astronomy and all the strange and amazing things that are happening on Earth and in heaven. Uh, I'm Andrew Dunkley, your host, and joining me as always is Fred Watson from the Australian Astronomical Observatory. Hello, Fred. Hello, Andrew. How are you going? I'm quite well. You're looking dapper. Oh, yes. Um, thank you very much. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's a shirt that I haven't worn for about five years, and I thought, I wonder why I never wear that. Well, they... the thing they say about fashion is it always comes back. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. actually, you're lucky, you're lucky it came back so fast. <laughs> yeah, I'm still wearing things that came back in 1947. <laughs> Aren't we all? Yeah. Now, today, uh, we're going to talk about an asteroid that passed by Earth uh, very, very recently and uh, what we may have learned from that. And uh, an interesting concept in, re in regard to time. We think about time in a certain way because of the rotation of our planet around its axis and around the sun and so on. But um, scientists look at time in a very different way and they've been measuring mountains using atomic clocks. And uh, a question from the audience about black holes and neutron stars. We'll get onto that very, very soon. Fred, uh, we had an asteroid pass by. It didn't even wave. Uh, what, what's the story <laughs> with this one? Yeah, this is a slightly different one from the interstellar asteroid we were discussing recently. Um, this is a, a, what's called a near-Earth object, uh, a near-Earth um, lump of rock, uh, round about 40 metres across. It passed by the Earth um, at a fairly safe but quite close distance on uh, Friday the 9th of February. So it was one of these, um, one of these things that whizzed by. Uh, but unlike things that have been whizzing by the Earth for the last 4.6 billion years, we now notice them because we have um, you know, various uh, eyes, eyes in the sky, yes. Yeah, the eyes in the sky, that's right. Mm. So uh, th this particular one rejoiced in the name of uh, asteroid 2018CB, uh, Citizens Band, I suppose that stands for. Could be. Uh, <laughs> um, we, we might talk about the nomenclature of asteroids some of the time, but 2018CB um, actually shot by around about a fifth of the distance between our planet and its moon, uh, something like uh, 60, 65,000 kilometres. That's, um, that's pretty darn close, though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Oh, actually, I, I've, I've lied to you. It was 69,700 oh. kilometres. So. Well, that makes a huge difference. <laughs> Yeah, nearly seven, nearly seventy thousand kilometres. But as you say, that is close. It's about twice the distance to the um, the belt of geostationary satellites that surrounds the Earth. Um, you know, mm. at uh, a height of three thousand six hundred kilometres above the Earth's surface, we have uh, we have this ring of asteroids. Hello, Mandu. This is Cat Mandu, Mandu making Mandu his presence felt. We haven't heard from Mandu for a while, Fred. 
No, he's been a bit vocal today. He's yeah. just, just complaining, as, <laughs> as he always does. Please yeah. do that. He does know about geostationary satellites, and so he knows that uh, 36,000 kilometres above the equator, in fact, there is this ring of satellites which are used to beam signals down uh, to various parts of the Earth's surface. And the reason why they're at that distance is that that's the distance that a satellite takes exactly one day to go around the Earth. So it means that these uh, these spacecraft are always above the same point on the Earth's surface. Mm. So um, twice as far away as that, which is pretty close really, uh, is the distance that uh, asteroid 2018CB uh, buzzed, uh, buzzed us uh, a, a week or so ago. Um, in fact, another one, um, uh, actually a couple of days earlier, an even smaller one, uh, which was probably only 15 or 20 metres across, called 2018CC, um, that also made a close approach. But that was quite a lot further. That was 184,000 kilometres. What's amazing, really, Andrew, is that we can actually detect these things because um, a rock that size, you know, it's about the size... Of a, of a small industrial building, sort of 20 or 30, uh, 15 or 20 metres. It's really not very big at all, uh, perhaps big, a bit bigger than the average house, but, but still not much bigger than a house. Um, and that's at um, getting on for 200,000 kilometres, something like, uh, well, more or less half the distance to the moon. It, uh, and it's still detectable by, mm. the, by the telescopes that we have now. And that, of course, is a fairly recent uh, phenomenon. Um, it was only, it's only in the last 30 years that we recognise that the Earth's history has been modified by, uh, by asteroid impact and that it behoves us to actually keep an eye out on what's going past us. Uh, and the fact that we know about these things is really good news. Just to dot the I and cross the T, uh, 2018 CB was discovered by the Catalina Sky Survey, which is We've actually, talked about that. Yes, we have indeed. It's um, based in Tucson, Arizona. Uh, in fact, um, uh, I visited there a couple of years ago. Uh, the, but in fact, both these asteroids were discovered by the Catalina Sky Survey. It's, uh, it's funded by NASA. It's one of several uh, fairly large facilities that are designed to keep an eye out for asteroids. As a space nut... I have to ask you the obvious peanut gallery question, and yep. that is, what if it did come yeah. close enough to break through the uh, atmosphere? What, yeah, so, what would be the uh, effect? 2018CB, the 40-metre one, um, that's quite large. It would almost certainly have exploded in the upper atmosphere. Um, it's something like twice as big as the one that exploded five years ago now over a place called Chelyabinsk in Russia. Uh, that was the one that, um, uh, w once it reached a uh, height of 30 kilometres above the atmosphere, it just broke up, but with an extraordinary explosion, which meant it was 30 times brighter than the sun. And, of course, that's what attracted everybody's attention on the ground and caused them to rush to the windows to have a look, whereupon the shockwave hit the ground a few minutes later and did a lot of damage and it caused uh, something like a thousand injuries mm. uh, this Thank, one thankfully uh, nobody was killed but uh, that, that's right. this well, one's twice as big it is and so it would have more than twice its destructive power because these things scale with the volume rather than the rather than the diameter so it would have been pretty dangerous and it's not that much smaller than the one that we think um, entered the atmosphere in 1908 at Tunguska mm -hmm. in Siberia, which devastated 
um, well, thousands of square kilometers of, of, uh, of forest up there. Uh, I think it killed one person uh, who was on the ground at the time nearby. But there's really, you know, the, the only evidence for this thing was the, the, the demolished forest. It took a long time before people worked out what that was. Yeah, and probably a saving grace that that one um, came down over such a remote part of the planet. That's right. If it I, came, if this sort of thing came down over New York City or Los Angeles yeah. or Sydney or or yeah. Moscow or, or Dubbo, there'd, yeah, there'd be um, there'd be something pretty catastrophic happening there. Yeah, that's right. Um, so the Tunguska event was um, fifty meters approximately, mm. so rather bigger than this one, but um, you know, still. This one would have a pretty huge destructive power. Uh, I, I guess one of the interesting things about uh, 2018 CB is that it was detected before it, um, you know, before it made its closest approach. So it was actually uh, detected on its way in. Had there been any serious danger, that does give some time for civil defence measures because at that stage you would know pretty well exactly where it was going to hit. And our civil defence measures would be evacuation. We have no way of deflecting these things yet. No, so not at the moment. it would That's be a case of get out of Dodge yeah. and, you know, yeah. find somewhere else to live. <laughs> yes, that's right. Mm. Go to Dodge. Yeah. yeah, yeah, come out here, check out the zoo, <laughs> pat the tigers, walk away with one hand. It's, it's a, you know, it'd be awesome. Um, all right, so uh, it's good that we can see them and good that it gives us time to uh, to react and I guess the time will come where we may be able to uh, deflect these things or even destroy them, but that time is not now. So um, better to know than to and to be able to leave than not know and yeah. go, what's that bright light in the... <laughs> exactly. Mm. <laughs> Quite so. You're listening to Space Nuts. I'm Andrew Dunkley and he's Fred Watson. Now let's take a little break and find out more about our sponsor... Express VPN, rated number one by Tech Radar. Uh, this is the one I use. I've been using it for a couple of years and I love it. When I joined Express VPN, they were, they were brand new, uh, new to the market, but uh, I read a lot of reviews and did a lot of comparisons. And there was just something about their, their business model that I particularly liked. And a couple of years down the track, honestly, can't complain. Their interface is very easy to use. Their, their service is second to none. Uh, I've had to contact them a couple of times about um, certain things that I wanted to do, and they were brilliant. So you may be wondering why I do need a VPN at all. It's all about privacy. Uh, do you really want big tech companies, governments, and others knowing uh, what's going on with your online activity? Even if you're having nothing to hide, it just feels downright creepy. Uh, I think you'll agree, and governments are getting more and more interested in what you're doing every day. And so, yeah, protecting your privacy is what VPN is all about. And how often do you uh, run across websites that you want to get information from only to find that they're geo-blocked? This is becoming an increasing problem, but ExpressVPN solves that problem for you. Uh, now, if you go to our special URL, you'll see quite a list of things this service can help you with, things you may never have thought of before. As I say, it's the one I use, secure, fast, and it just works. Uh, so protect yourself online today and find out more about how to get three months free at tryexpressvpn.com slash space. That's T-R-Y-E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash space. 
for three months free with a one-year package. Try expressvpn.com slash space to learn more and you'll find the link details in the show notes and on our website. Now, back to the show. Roger, you're live, sir, here also. Space Nuts. Now, Fred, we're going to talk about time and atomic clocks and measurement, but um, people like me, the average person, uh, think about time in terms of our day-to-day lives. We, we live our lives in seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, years. And that's our concept of time. But uh, scientists see time in a very different way and, and the universe uh, has different elements of time. Uh, and we've got this really fascinating story about the use of uh, atomic clocks to measure things. Now, atomic clocks you would normally associate with time. So what are they doing here? <laughs> uh, you're right. You're quite right. To, to, you know, to we... Uh, humans, uh, the passage of time is a fairly constant thing. But from the early part of, since the early part of the 20th century, when Einstein really uh, revolutionised our thinking on time and space, we've known that time actually varies depending on what state you're in, and in, in particular. It depends on your state of motion, which is something that comes out of Einstein's special theory of relativity. Uh, Two people moving at different speeds will actually experience time in different ways. Uh, It really only comes... Uh, becomes important when you're moving at nearly the speed of light, which you and I never do. No. Uh, so, <laughs> so it's um, it, it, it's it's something that's fairly esoteric. But of course, it it comes it comes very much into importance in things like the Large Hadron Collider, where you're whizzing particles around at almost the speed of light. But the other way in which time is affected, and this came from Einstein's general theory of relativity in 1915, uh, that is what's called the gravitational time dilation. So it means if you put uh, a clock, you know, somebody watching it probably, in um, a gravitational field, for example, near the surface of the Earth, it will run slightly more slowly than if it is... uh, out in deep space. And it's not the fault of the clock. There's nothing wrong with the clock. It's simply that time itself slows down. And, when and you and I discussed this last week when we talked about the twin paradox. And yeah, that's you've got right. two four-year-old twins. You send one of them into space for four years at uh, near the speed of light. He comes back eight years old and the other one's 104. That's the yes, twin exactly. paradox. And it's, That is indeed. It's and quite extraordinary. Out- it, that comes about because of uh, the special theory of relativity, the fact that mm. uh, things that are moving relative to one another have experienced time differently. But the gravitational one is, is really interesting because what it means is that uh, for us folk here on Earth, uh, time is actually running slightly more slowly than if we were just in, in deep space and kind of hanging around. Um, so um, is it possible to measure that? Because the, the, the difference is, is minuscule. It, it gets really significant when you're near something with huge gravitational potential like a black hole. Uh, but we aren't in a black hole. We're in a fairly normal-sized rocky planet uh, with modest gravity. Um, is it possible to measure that gravitational time difference? And the answer is yes. Um, we've, we've had for some time, probably about the last five years or so, incredibly accurate atomic clocks. The the current versions are called strontium lattice clocks, and they exist in some of the laboratories in the world. They're accurate to something like one second in 30 billion years. It is just extraordinary stuff. That's amazing. Which is kind of twice the age of the universe. No excuses for being late for work. Well, no, that's right. So, um, 
So what has happened is that um, uh, physicists, uh, actually based in Germany, I think principally, have built a portable version of this strontium lattice clock that can be moved around. Um, and, and what they've done is they've taken it up a mountain and they've compared the time that it records with the time uh, on a similar clock, which is actually in a, a lab in Torino in Italy. Um, and what they're trying to do is show that because the Torino clock is about a thousand meters below the level of the mountain clock, uh, there should be a difference in time. And in fact, that difference, the expected difference, is such that if you had, let me find the figure here because it's quite staggering. Mm. If you have two clocks uh, differ, differing in height above sea level by a thousand meters, you would expect uh, one of them, uh, the higher one, uh, to run at a rate that, let me find the figure, it's um, in 10 years, the difference between them uh, would be. I can't find it, but I'm pretty sure. Yeah, here we are. A thousand meters apart. You let them run for 10 years. Uh, one is different the other from the other by 31 millionths of a second. <laughs> <laughs> so 31 millionths of a second is, is what you're measuring over 10 years. Yeah. Um, over a year, it will be three millionths of a second. But it proves but that the gravitational effect on time is real. That, that's right, if you can measure it. Mm. And I was going to say that such is the accuracy of these strontium lattice clocks. that They have done. Yes, yeah. they've done it. They've measured that difference. They haven't got it quite as accurately as the 31, million, uh, the, um, 31 millionths of a second per, per decade would suggest, but they can detect the difference between them in the rate of ticking of the, ato of the atomic clocks. It's spectacular stuff. It is. Really Remarkable. And this has been demonstrated in science fiction, and I'm going to refer to the movie Interstellar. Uh, yep. uh, that was a story about trying to find a way of getting humans to another planet because our planet was dying. Uh, and they were investigating one planet which was close to a black hole, and because of the gravitational effect of the black hole, this planet's time equated to uh, every hour on the planet meant seven years passed on Earth. Yes. Now, that's a pretty extreme example of it, but they were using gravitational effect of time to demonstrate yeah. the, the problem. And unfortunately, these people were stuck on the planet for three hours, four hours, and 28 years passed by on Earth. It's, um, yeah, it looked, that, that is a, a really interesting example of, uh, of what we're talking about. I much prefer the 31 millionth of a second per decade issue. <laughs> I can, yeah, I can handle right. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we can handle that. That's yeah. right. At least no, you're not going to get questions about where the hell have you been. <laughs> <laughs> but it is interesting stuff, though, in, in terms of, um, you know, demonstrating the, the validity of uh, Einstein's general theory of relativity once again. It's fantastic uh, uh, proof that he was right on the money with his time dilation, gravitational time dilation. Yeah, and I suppose it also draws attention to just how incredibly intelligent he was because he didn't have the tools that we've got no. today. He, he, he would have had to do a lot of thinking, a lot of hard thinking to come up with some of these concepts. So he was, was an extraordinary man. 
Indeed he was. Mm. All right. So we we know about the effects of gravity on Earth and uh, the effects of uh, that on time, but uh, you can't use it as an excuse for anything, particularly forgetting your anniversary. This is Space Nuts. Andrew Dunkley here with Fred Watson. Zero G and I feel fine. Space Nuts. Righto, Fred. We have a question from our studio audience, and this is from Greg in Sydney. And apologies for taking so long to get to this one, Greg, but we just didn't know. Uh, But um, he says, uh, very entertaining as always, uh, the latest reports of gravity waves are intensely interesting. Uh, We have now had several black hole mergers and one neutron star merger, which was fascinating uh, for the follow-up observations in different uh, spectral ranges, gamma, X-ray, UV, visible, infrared. When should we expect to see a black hole plus neutral uh, neutron star merger, and how might it be different? Well, wow, he's been putting a lot of thought into this, has Greg? Absolutely, and it, it, it's a great question, Greg. You're um, you're right on the money that um, the first gravitational wave detections were indeed colliding uh, black holes, merging black holes, um, and but perhaps the more spectacular one uh, was last year's uh, collision of two neutron stars which, as you say, uh, all the electromagnetic observations tallied exactly with the gravitational wave observations, and it gave us uh, a completely new insight into the mechanism of these collisions. Now, um, I don't believe there is any reason why there shouldn't be a collision between a black hole and a neutron star. The the reason why I'm... I'm not certain about that, and it's partly because I'm not really a specialist in this field. But uh, so what we've had so far has been collisions between similar objects, in fact, objects of a relatively fairly similar mass. Mm-hmm. Um, and that suggests that these uh, these objects were formed uh, together, that they are what you might call a binary pair, and that binary pair has eventually lost its rotational energy and so the two objects have collided, whether it's black holes or neutron stars. Um, whether there is a scenario where you have a neutron star in orbit around a black hole, I am not um, familiar, with, f- f- familiar enough with this, uh, you know, these kinds of studies to know if it's possible, but I believe it should be. So my guess is that eventually we will see a phenomenon which results in the collision of a black hole and a neutron star. And Fred, um, a neutron star is, is quite small and very dense. It's a, it is, that's quite right. different to what we know of as, you know, if you're looking at our own sun, our own star, which we that don't is, recommend you do without protection, by the way. That's right. No, I should have, um, I'm sorry, I should have, uh, I should have elaborated a little bit on that. So a neutron star is um, uh, it's kind of the final stage before something gets to a black hole. Uh, if you've got a massive star that collapses at the end of its life, um, it can achieve a state where uh, all the neutrons in it are packed densely together and it, 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 the mass of the star is not quite big enough for its gravitational collapsing force, if I can put it that way, to overcome the repulsion, the mutual repulsion of the neutrons one to another. So the neutrons hold the thing apart. They, they stop it from collapsing into a black hole. Um, so neutron stars are a bit less massive than, uh, than black holes, typically similar mass to the mass of the sun, uh, but their diameter is of the order of 15 kilometres, 10, mm. 15 
kilometers, something like that, the size of a city. Um, so you, the density is incredibly um, large. Uh, you know, it's billions of tons per teaspoonful kind of thing. That's amazing. So, so that's the, the, the sort of secret here. If you had, say, a 30, ma a 30 solar mass black hole merging with a one solar mass neutron star, that would certainly pr produce gravitational waves. Uh, they might not be as um, spectacular as the two black holes merging or the two neutron stars. Uh, but uh, what, what would tell you that that was happening would be the exact shape of the gravitational wave signature because it's the, it's the ripples through space themselves that tell you what you're dealing with. Um, the, their wavelength, their amplitude, uh, how long they take to decay, how long they take to um, what, what, what we call chirp down at the end of that collision process. All of those things are now measurable with uh, things like the LIGO gravitational wave detector and with future gravitational wave detectors too. They're, they're measurable and so by studying those those waveforms, you can actually deduce what it is that's collided. Um, it's just thinking this through a little bit more. With, with a neutron star colliding with a black hole, really it's more a process of what we call accretion. The neut neutron star, I think, will be sucked into the event horizon of the black hole. That's the point of no return. Mm. Um, probably with very, very spectacular results. So you might also expect as we did with the two, two neutron stars, to get a flash from this across X-rays and radio waves and, and visible light too that can be, de can be detected. Once again, um, that uh, analyzing that flash spectroscopically gives you much more in information into what it is that's, that's actually colliding. So I, I, think the, the, I think Greg's question is a great one, and I think we can look forward to these things. Oh, yeah, and it's, it's, there's every probability it's already happened. We just haven't detected it yet because the gravitational yeah. waves probably haven't reached us. So and in some true. circumstances, they may never reach us. But there is, yeah, there's a distinct possibility that this has happened already and we just got to wait for it to get here. Uh, and I suppose the answer to his question is, um, you know, what would, uh, what would be different about a black hole neutron star merger? Um, they'd be the same, but different. That's the answer, essentially. <laughs> Quite so. Mm. Quite so. That's the short answer to the long one. That I always ends. try to find the short answer. Always got in trouble for it at school. Andrew <laughs> should elaborate more. <laughs> yes. yes is not a sufficiently detailed answer. Well, they, they shouldn't ask closed questions. I'm a journalist now and I understand these things. If they ask a closed question, you can give a yes, no answer and you're not wrong. Yes, that's right. <laughs> but that wasn't good enough. Anyway, that's the different story. Uh, thank you, Greg, for your question. Hopefully we answered it um, to your satisfaction and we would love to hear uh, from more people about um, things that confuse them or they just want a bit more of a wholesome answer to in terms of what's happening in the world of astronomy and Fred's, uh, Fred's the man to, uh, to answer it for you. Uh, and if he can't answer it, he'll ask Mandu the cat um, because Mandu is much more intelligent than the average human being. Um, He's fast asleep now, so that's um, that's how intelligent he is. <laughs> well, I, I would suggest that taking a nap this time of the day is yeah. probably very intelligent. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Fred, as always, thank you so much. Uh, great to chat. Great pleasure, Andrew. Always good to talk, and we'll speak again soon. 
Uh, we will indeed. That's Fred Watson from the Australian Astronomical Observatory. And uh, thank you again for listening to our podcast, Space Nuts. Don't forget to tell your friends. Uh, follow us up on Facebook and Twitter and uh, share us. Please share us. We love being shared. And we will catch you again next time on the podcast known as Space Nuts. Space Nuts. You've been listening to the Space Nuts podcast. Subscribe to the full podcast on iTunes, Audio Boom, and Stitcher, or your favourite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Sites.com.